Hello, everyone. This episode is entitled The Coronavirus Edition, probably. Uh, this is Dan Hansen. If you're here for health, safety, scientific information, you have come to the wrong place. This is for half-assed financial analysis. This is How Not to Suck at the Stocks with Dan Hansen, if I didn't already say my name. Uh, this show is for entertainment purposes only and extremely not safe for work. Um, which I guess is still relevant. You can be working from home and you got some fucking kid walking around. Well, throw the little kid in the other room because this show is about to get lit, bruh. It's straight fire, yo. It's the bee's knees. So that's what I'm going to do. Uh, I'm going to start off with a warning about owning shitty companies during this. I'm going to go through the investments I already owned going into this and how I think this may impact them. I'm going to get into consumer preferences and societal changes that may come from this. And then I'm going to get into the new positions that I've taken uh, during this uh, crisis. Okay, so it's going to be a long episode. I'm going to try to get through it as fast as I can, but I'm still probably going to go over 20 minutes. So just a warning. Uh, One, don't own shitty companies. I don't care how cheap they look. If someone offered you a bag of shit, would you say yes, depending on the price? No, you just do not want to own shit. Well, I guess it looks like you're a farmer or something. But you don't want to own shit. And this is exactly why. Because you want companies that actually can improve their position during an economic downturn, not go bankrupt. Okay? Because economic downturns are both inherently unpredictable and entirely inevitable. So I'm going to use airlines as an example because it's in the news. Everyone's familiar with how an airline works. Uh, They can look attractive on the way up because their margins are so great, because you have low vacancies. Well, then when there's a recession, they're the first ones with their hands out to Uncle Sam. I don't know how many fucking airlines have to go bankrupt before... Uh, the people who run these things understand that they shouldn't be doing buybacks. They should be financed as conservatively as possible. I don't know how long until investors realize this, but in the meantime, uh, you know, don't get fooled uh, by the fool's gold here. If there is a if there is a bailout, I don't know if investors are going to be saved. It, it might be like a GM bailout where you know they're left in the chopping block. So word of warning, own companies that can survive a recession because otherwise you're just dancing on a razor's edge. Uh, Okay, now companies I've owned. Okay, so Apple, Apple's going to be fine. Uh, They're going to close down stores, they're going to open back up, they're going to be fine. Their supply chain uh, isn't diversified enough, but that was always an issue with them. Um, The trade war, I think, kind of opened people's eyes that we should diversify our our supply chain. Hopefully this knocks them out of bed. You have a situation here in America where supplies that are a a matter of national security are sourced to our largest geopolitical adversary in China. Things like pharmaceuticals, uh, things like uh, the masks for nurses and doctors – it's absolutely insane how unprepared we are and how reliant we are on countries that really do not like us. But that's another story. Hopefully they diversify their supply chain after this and they come out uh, better than they, than they entered in the long run. Uh, Disney. 
Uh, fuck you very much, Bob Iger. The $66 billion in debt I was already in, uncomfortable with. This is due to the Fox acquisition. Uh, yeah, now I'm extremely uncomfortable with it because their parks have to close. No one's going to the theaters. Advertising is going to be down. They already had headwinds in cable. I mean, you have a situation in cable where, just, just, just using ESPN as an example, ESPN charges about, I think, like 8 or $9 per subscriber, and it's over, like, over 83 uh, million subscribers here in the U.S. So that's, what is it, $9 times 83 million per month in revenue. The economics are, and that's just for ESPN, not for ESPN 2, 3, all the other channels. The economics of cable are absolutely insane. Disney was never going to be able to match that with ESPN+. Plus. The numbers just don't make sense. And, and I'm, I'm bullish on streaming and the pricing power and streaming. Uh, but the numbers are never going to make sense. So that was already a headwind. In cinema, there was already a headwind because it's likely a, a, a golden age for Disney as far as uh, the cinema goes. Um, so that was going to be a source of decline. Uh, the streaming service, you know, Hulu is going to be a big money burn. Disney Plus, ESPN Plus, getting these off the ground is already going to be a cash burn. So they already had these headwinds, and now you have fucking parks closed. Uh, so I did the analysis today, and the number one variable is how much of their park, and you know, park, hotel, cruise, resorts, all this is in one. How much of that is fixed, and how much of that is variable? Um. Basically, if it's all fixed, which is unrealistic, but just you know, bear with me. If it's all fixed, you're talking about them burning about $23 billion uh, for the remaining fiscal year. But that's assuming a global shutdown until November 20th, which is completely un- – it's probably a doomsday scenario. But it's still nice to know that even in a doomsday scenario where the globe shuts down until November 20th and 100% uh, – operating expenditures during that time, the 23 cash burn at least isn't astronomical. They would be able to survive that. So even worst case, they, they, I think they're still fine. Um, still not happy about, speaking of Bob Iger real quick, um, is it a coincidence that he stepped down after my last podcast? No. No, it's not. I think, I think he Donald Trumped somebody. I think that's why he stepped down. But in any case, let's move on. We don't have time for this. Uh, Berkshire Hathaway. Um, I know it, I know it's screening really cheap right now. Uh, you have to clean up the book and you have to clean up the earnings. The earnings are easy to clean up. I mean, just go in there. Uh, you want to take out all the, um, unrealized capital gains that fell to their bottom line. And then the price to book looks super cheap because the the price to book that was reported last doesn't account for their equity portfolio taking a dump. Um, so just be smart, you know. Um, and as for, you hear a lot about all the cash Berkshire Hathaway has sitting around. I don't know how much of that is actually tied up to insurance liabilities. Um, their balance sheet is kind of a black box to me. So I don't know. We'll see. I'm not I'm not as bullish on them as everyone else seems to be, even though I am a shareholder. I'm just not quite as bullish. Uh, next, Wells Fargo. This was already a company I really didn't like holding. Uh, I had been thinking about that I may have made a mistake with them for a long time. Um, I thought I understood banking. I thought, uh, well, you know, you buy, you buy money from the government at one price, and you sell it to the taxpayer at a higher price, and you collect the spread. It's pretty simple business, right? 
Well, apparently you can fuck that business model right in the ass by opening up millions of fraudulent accounts and then handling it in the most retarded way possible. Uh, Peter Lynch says, make sure you own a company that even an idiot can run because eventually one will. Uh, In the case of Wells Fargo, apparently it's just going to be a string of idiots. It's just idiots all the way down. Um, But that's a situation where it's just gotten so cheap. And I'm I'm falling. I always tell people, don't own a company because it's cheap. With Wells Fargo, it's like, how can I sell it? It's so cheap. The dividend yields over 7% for what is probably a fairly durable cash flow. Like the price to book is less than one. But I mean, I don't know. That's definitely one I have to reconsider. Uh, moving, and I don't, I don't even know how the coronavirus even affects banks. Uh, moving on, uh, consumer preferences. Um, I think businesses are going to realize that employees can work from home by and large. I'm not, I mean, obviously not all employees, um, but more employees than they had suspected can work from home. They can save a shitload of money. And the drop in productivity isn't as high as they may have feared. Um, so I think they can save a lot of, you know, they can cut a lot of costs doing this. I think it's better for everyone when more, with more people working from home. I think it's better for you to work from home. I think it saves uh, on energy, on gas costs. I think it saves uh, congestion, you know, traffic. Uh, it helps with pollution. Um, you know, all around great benefits. I always thought, you know, I love the city. I love, you know, taking the metro into Chicago but when I get there, it always just seems so ironic that you have these ginormous office buildings with people just packed on top of each other just so they can all connect to the internet. It's such industrial era thinking. I think in 50 years, they're going to look back and be like, why the fuck were you guys doing that? You already had the internet. What were you thinking? Um, but in any case... And then uh, working from home has its own implications. Also, companies can theoretically pay their employees less because they're not uh, paying them for that 40-minute you know, commute both ways. So I think it's going to be good for everyone as far as what businesses may profit off that. I mean, you know, video conferencing, anything tech, uh, you know, that kind of stuff. Um, I think online shopping is going to – it's about 10% of retail now. I think it's just going to quicken the adoption as more and more people are going to be ordering online during the lockdown. Um, things like Uber Eats. I, I don't know about you, but when I go out to eat, it's not so much that I want to be at a restaurant and have a waiter come bother me every five minutes. It's more that I just don't want to cook. So I could see the adoption of things like Uber Eats being quickened, hastened in this kind of environment. Um, and finally, uh, you know, cloud computing. Um, I think businesses, the more costs you can move to variable so you can withstand crises like this, probably the better. And I think something like computing power, which is so capital intensive and it changes, you know, the shelf life of a server or um, a processor must be so short. So if you can, if you can make it that cost variable and you can outsource it to a streaming service, uh, it seems I don't know I don't know it that well. I, I have a few books I want to read on the subject, but it looks like an extremely attractive prospect, so a great value proposition for businesses. So that's enough about consumer preferences. I want to move on to companies that I've been taking a look at. Edit. Actually, I'm not going to do that. Um, I went back, listened to it, and I uh, thought it sucked. So I'm just going to cut that off, 
Uh, I'll probably talk about it next episode. Uh, if you're not patient enough, you can check out my blog, Blogspot, or Hanson Asset at, what the fuck is it? Hansonasset.blogspot.com. Yeah, you can read a little bit there. Um, you can follow me on the tweets at Hanson Asset. You can become one of my 77 subscribers. And that's really it. <clears throat> Thanks, everyone, for listening. Uh, good luck. Wash your hands. And uh, don't you go dying on me.